I'm excited to be here. Joel, are you wearing the same shirt or that you have in your photo? Do I have profile Joel on with us today? No, no. This shirt's, you know, I'm actually glad you asked about this shirt. This shirt has sat in my closet for five, six years, honestly. And it's my am I still overweight shirt because I always put it on and see, can I like button it up? And today is the first day since like that time that far ago. I've been working really hard that this thing fits. So it's a different shirt, but it's a, it's still a special shirt. I put it on for this for this occasion. I love it. I love it. So <laughs> I haven't worn pants since February. And so because mm -hmm. I was living in Texas, it's like 100 degrees just all the time. And I just got to California, and I put my jeans on, and I couldn't tell if I was overweight or if jeans just fit tight. So I, I'm still – I'm going to leave that one out there. But um, thanks for being here with us today. Um, copy extraordinaire. You're running business casual. You're also doing case study buddy. Um, for everyone out here, you know, watching, listening, little background on maybe business casual and case study buddy before we dive into questions. Sure. So business casual, uh, conversion copywriting, but at this point it's more like conversion consulting with a heavy lean toward copywriting. So, uh, I get brought into situations where companies are either going through a redesign or going through a pivot or conversions just aren't happening uh, the way that they want them to be. And so I come in, I diagnose what's going on. I do a ton of research. I help them better understand their customers, their competitive landscape, all that stuff. And then the output of that is new copywriting variants, new pages that they deploy and hopefully make Olympic swimming pool you know, size yeah. money bags. So that's that's on the conversion copywriting side. I work a lot with B2B and a lot. Of, I've had the privilege to work with a lot of amazing software companies. And then Case Study Buddy is kind of a spinoff out of my early days doing content work. So um, there we help B2B customers capture, share, and cash in on customer success stories. We're trying to be the best in the world at that. Um, make that process as fast, frictionless, and dare I say fun for everyone as possible. Uh, the only people who think doing case studies are easy are people who've never tried to do them. So we've spent four plus years now spending a lot of time whacking moles and, and solving problems and, and building an amazing team. And we've really been pouring fuel on the fire since about 2019 into growing that company and growing that client roster and expanding our offerings. So yeah, two, uh, two different businesses. I got two, two businesses, two kids. I think for now, you know, not going to go for number three in either one of those departments. Oh man, I love it. And uh, for those watching and running, where, where is the sour candy? Um, mm. So Joel, uh, the Mounties uh, confiscated all the sour candy that I had sent, mm. tried to sneak it through the border, but they grabbed it. So I'm going to be doing double today. So to start, we have Toxic Waste, our favorite candy. I was like, hey, Joel, what about like a lemon wedge? You know, like, yeah. <laughs> don't leave me alone out here. <laughs> So I'm, I'm just going to enjoy your suffering for the endurance. Oh, no, oh, there's plenty to enjoy. Don't even – oh, you'll – all right, here we go. <laughs> uh, all right. There's two candies. Half of it's sour, half of it's talking with candy in your mouth. So mm. one of the things that fascinates me is 
I get to work with a lot of SaaS clients. How do I say this? Copy has not come up ever. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm being 100%. I'm talking like really sharp. I, I know who you work with. You have a good idea who I work with. Like, these are not like crappy marketers. Right. These are really sharp, big budget, publicly traded or massive VC funded, fast growing companies. And the word copy could be like Mars. It has the same frequency of coming up. And, and I do mostly sales, like early conversations. So, and then all the data, right? All the stuff that Conversion Excel is putting out, all the stuff Unbound is putting on, everything goes back to copy, yet no one asked for it. I don't have copywriters on staff. They don't have copywriters on staff. I've employed mm -hmm. you before. You're amazing. Let's just talk, let's just get this out to start. Why the heck is copy like the just, I don't know, I don't want to use the wrong words here, but like just completely neglected when it's so impactful. What, what do you, what's going on? I think the, the big thing is copy is like, it's, it's not the most acutely felt pain. Like nobody says, Oh, like hardly anyone goes, Oh, our copy sucks. That's the problem. Um, yep. And it's kind of this sneaky, like copy, Joanna Weeb says this copy is the input and output of every major business function. And so you're way more likely, especially at like an enterprise level software company, but even all across the spectrum, you're way more likely to go, Oh, we've got a conversion issue or, Oh, we've got a, a positioning problem or, Oh, uh, we're just not, we're not seeing the sales or we're not seeing conversions. You're more likely to look at the broader business problem than copy, which is the input to, to solving that problem. And I think the thing is, it's also, it doesn't get a lot of respect because I think there's this prevailing myth or mentality spoken sometimes and unspoken that anybody can write. And I think it's in vogue. We've gone through the just create great content era of Google. And that, that became very pervasive where the attitude and what everyone wanted to believe is that anyone can write and, and anyone can create, you know, these incredible pieces of content or copy or what have you. And I think the reason it gets neglected is because it's not sexy. It's not new. Um, but what it can do for you is sexy. And there's, there are newer, smarter ways of approaching it that are more data informed, more rigorous and so on and so forth. So I think it gets overlooked because there's this perceived lack of difficulty there's this perceived, you know, the, the attention goes to sort of these larger problems that are on the radar. And I think it also, it's complicated. I think, you know, if, if a lot of people are honest, they don't press into it because maybe they've been burned in the past or like copywriting is a jungle. I'm in the industry and it's a jungle. Anyone can claim to be a copywriter. The, when I started, conversion copywriter was just coming into Vogue. And now everyone, it's like the default thing. If you're a copywriter at all to tack conversion onto the front. So it can be hard just to find vendors or trustworthy people. So I think it's just like myriad factors that kind of make people overlook it. And also when companies think about a redesign or a rebrand, it's always, Oh, we want new design, right? Or we, we want a better look. And so that yep. stuff gets pushed to, to the back where it's like, well, someone's got to, someone's got to, you know, plant a flag and tell people what you're all about and why they should buy from you. And, I love designers. I have tons of respect for their work, but they can't do that in the absence of, of copy. Yeah. So I think it's a lot of different reasons that it kind of gets pushed backwards and, and missed. You know, and I think there's a branding issue with copy too, in my opinion. And what I mean by that is like, okay, so we hired you. It was amazing. Like I was really impressed with what you guys did. I love copy just for context, but I got blinders. Every person who runs their own marketing has blinders as to what they think people 
want or see in them or think about them versus what they're actually communicating, right? There's that thing. But I think the branding issue is you didn't spend more than 10% of your time writing. Like I've never gotten more research out of anyone I've ever worked with than you and your Google Analytics audit. And I've never even audited someone Google Analytics like that. So to me, there's like this branding issue where people think they're gonna hire like this copywriter and they're gonna say beautiful words and they're gonna put them on a page. And that like was, couldn't have been further from what the actual experience was. So maybe for everyone listening, what do you think good copywriting, like what does that process look like and how should we be approaching writing copy in your perspective? Yeah, I mean, we have to start with the end game, right? What's the big goal? Like there are creative copywriters and their job is just to gather up attention. So the guy writing your ad campaign or the guy writing your billboard or gal or what have you, the person writing those types of assets is a different type of person than me coming in. So all writers, I think, should be data informed, not necessarily like put that because there's a danger only looking at the data. You lose out on all the branding aspects and that sort of thing. But I think realistically, you're right. It's it's hard because copy is the output of what I do. Fundamentally, what I'm doing is writing new pages for you. But that's really, as you mentioned, like the tip of the iceberg. The real value when you work with a bona fide conversion copywriter is everything that comes before. So what does that look like? Well, let's talk about it. So when I engage with a client, there's always at least two phases, sometimes three. The first phase is always this analysis and strategy. It's research dressed up with a sexier name because people think research is busy work for nerds and no one wants to pay for it. But what we go through is when you're so close to your business and you're in it every day and you can be in the middle, it's the forest for the trees analogy. You can know your customers and not really know your customers. You can know your business and not really know your business or, or the landscape around it. And that landscape is always shifting. And so conversion copywriting seeks to understand what motivates people to buy, how they make those decisions to go past the cardboard cutout of a typical persona and into how they buy, why they buy, what motivates them and so on. So in that research and analysis phase, we're doing things like qualitative research where we're running surveys and asking about the experience of buying. We're we're doing customer interviews and we're asking them about their experience of buying and the before and during and after. We're looking at things like chat logs with your leads. And I, I'm working on for, for an SEO company today. Uh, they're, a, they're a white labeling company. And we're looking at their chat logs and we're seeing things come out like, oh, it's, it's huge clues into things like, hey, your product descriptions are letting you down and people aren't fully grasping what, what the difference between packages and things like that. So we're, we're looking at existing customers, recent customers, how they bought we're looking at leads and what's catching them up. And then we look at the quantitative side of things too. So we look at things like recorded user sessions. We look at heat maps. And that's kind of this like qualitative, quantitative crossover. So we're looking at how do people, not only what do they want, what motivates them, who are they, but how do they behave? How do they interact with your information today? And this is something I get pushed back a lot, especially when someone's about to go through a redesign. Well, why would you analyze our current set? We're throwing it all away. We're going to go build a new one. And my response is, if I don't analyze your old site, you're going to repeat the mistakes you made there on your new site. It's just going to be a turd wrapped in gold. So it's it's about understanding what drives people and also how they interact with your information and optimizing how they interact with your information to give them the answers to the questions they have and the things that they want and so on. I love that. Now, I got a couple kind of questions that tell off this because I think, you know, I think the audience who watches the show and then when we promote it, I think 
they really want to get that that meat. And so I believe in kind of two fundamental things of marketing. One is that one of the most important things you can do as a marketer is have an answer when someone asks you, where should we spend our next dollar or save it? And have it really be financially driven and sales aligned. That's one side. The other thing is, at the end of the day, the most important thing you need to do is communicate why someone should choose you over every other option, your value proposition. So when we talk about value propositions and copy, I like to go top of funnel and bottom of funnel on a page so that I have something for someone who wants informational intent or kind of just doing their research and someone who wants to take action that I want to monetize. Now, that's been my approach. As a copywriting pro, do you think that having um, dual call to actions like that dilutes the value of the page? Do you believe in singular call to actions and singular purposes? So when you do a copy for a brand, are you trying to find what is the core value and that everything exists around that? Or are we saying, hey, there's here's different five different values and we're going to interact with them when they make sense? Like, kind of, How are you thinking about value propositions of copy? So before we get to value propositions, there's something that you hit on that I think we need to understand. And that is a lot of the focus when you even for those doing copy, quote unquote, the right way gets put on the pain points and the desired outcomes and the anxieties and priorities. And when I started, that's where I put the emphasis too. But there's something that trumps all of those things where you can have all of that right. And if you get this thing wrong, none of that stuff matters. And that's awareness level. And so awareness level is if, if we use an analogy, you want to bring your customer, imagine this, you want to bring your customer on a vacation with you, right? To do that, they're holding a suitcase. You need to know what's packed in that suitcase because if you want to take them to, say, Antarctica, they're going to need a jacket. They're going to need some strong boots. They're going to need some warm clothes. If you're trying to take them to Hawaii, you know they're, they're going to need a different set of clothes. And, and also, if they're fully packed, then you just want to get them on the plane. And if they got nothing in their suitcase, then you got to spend the time helping them pack all the essential elements in. What am I talking about with suitcases, people? How does this relate back to value propositions? Here's the deal. When you understand pain points, when you understand desired outcomes, anxieties, priorities, someone who's at the point of being extremely aware, they're brand aware, they know you, they know why you're valuable, they know everything, all they need to know is the deal. All they need is a call to action that pushes them to convert or tells them what the deal is. Like, save 50% now, push the button, off you go. That's a wildly confusing experience for someone on the other end of the spectrum where they're just, say, pain aware. And they're like, I've got a problem. And they haven't even realized that solutions are possible yet. Yeah. And so while, it, while it's possible to have dual calls to action, and certainly on places like your homepage, where you're going to have this confluence of every possible type of lead coming, that might make sense. In other situations, it makes no sense at all to do both of those things. You have to ask the question, how much does my lead already know or how much does the typical qualified lead know by the time they get here? Classic example of this is I see this all the time on enterprise like agencies. Directive is one of them, right? If an enterprise is hiring you, statistically, the odds are pretty low that they don't know what SEO is. And yet, how many agency sites do we go to? And it starts off with, what is SEO? And then a big fat paragraph and then into, it doesn't make any sense. You're trying to educate a lead who already knows that. In turn, you're just wasting their time. That's not what they came to that page for. Or if you have a, you know, download our, you know, beginner's guide to SEO, like, what are you doing there? That's not a fit for that audience, like, an opinion yeah. you have. You so, get me excited. Sorry. I'm like thinking about this because like then. <laughs> You do writing, but within writing, there's copy and there's content. And you have an SEO background. 
And you know why they're writing what is? Because they're trying to rank for these types exactly. of large funnel high volume queries. So where does copy fit with content? Because it sounds like exactly what you said is like you are pretty anti like content, yet you're simultaneously like, and I'm the same way, by the way. So like there's this like juggling act we do. So where does copy and content fit in the same conversation? I to close off the idea of unique value propositions and bring it around to this. With clients, I'm trying to find overall, we're trying to craft an identity. What is unique about you on the whole to all leads? Why would someone choose you on the whole? We need to make sure that's articulated in the right way, regardless of awareness level, right? We have to give them a value proposition that they're ready to appreciate, in other words. Now, this content versus copy debate, it's it's not that I'm anti-content, but what I am anti is Listen, why are you, for example, as an enterprise SEO company serving, you know, companies who have tens of thousands of employees, potentially sometimes internal SEO staff, why would you waste your bandwidth on creating these top, like, it feels sexy to rank for what is SEO, but is that going to drive one iota of business for you? I doubt it. So it's not about like content versus copy, but it's about understanding Okay, as a lead, what are my informational needs at the time that I interact with you? So for, let, again, let's bring it back to agencies. Like when I was writing the rankings.io site, uh, when we look at their services page, we know things about their audience that we want to play up and emphasize because of the awareness level they're at. For example, like they deal with, they deal with elite personal injury lawyers, so different audience. But what do we know about elite personal injury lawyers? These guys spend a ton of money. These, these, these guys and gals have been burned before, right? They've, they've hired previous. Odds are good this is, that this is not their first time investing in this. Uh, they've been burned in the past. They want results. They, they overemphasize results. And then a sneaky one is they don't even appreciate yet until they've had a bad experience how much they value communication. So we built the messaging strategy around those four pillars. We overemphasized communication. We overemphasized accountability. We could do that because we understood the informational needs of that audience. And then instead of hitting them with, you know, what is SEO, what Chris and his team have done that's brilliant is they've run uh, vertical specific studies where they look at what's working today for personal injury lawyers. What are the top firms doing that you're not? That is brilliant content for someone who calls himself an elite personal injury lawyer because they're wired up to want to crush and dominate. They don't need basic understanding anymore. They want that edge. They want that you know top 10% of information that's going to give them that. So it's not that all content is bad and all copy is good. The two just have to play nice together so that you're edu if you're going to educate, educate for the stage that they're at and the thing that they care about. And if they don't care about it, the more noise you throw at someone, the less likely they are to continue down the page. If I feel talked down to, or if I feel like you're wasting my time, I'm going to do one of two things. I'm going to leave, or I'm going to rip through the page looking for that little bit that's relevant to me. So you've now made it that much more likely that I'm not going to buy from you because you're basically throwing spikes on the road as I'm trying to like drive into your arms. That's a weird analogy. Don't run anybody over, but you know what I mean? Like, the content has to be engineered for who they are, what they're ready for at that time, and what will demonstrably help them make a decision to buy from you or validate that decision before or after the fact. I love that, Joel. I love that. All right. It's happening. I hate the warheads. They're so sour. <laughs> they're so sour. I'm going to let you talk because this is brutal. Um, oh, damn. 
Oh my God. Um, people are listening. We've had some great CMOs on the show, obviously really strong consultants. And they're like, you know what, Joel, you're right. I've devalued copy. I haven't taken it serious. I'm leaving money on the table. I've got three designers and no copywriter. And I got this poor guy or gal wearing 42 hats and copies what they do on Sunday before they show up on the Monday report. No research, frankly, not that good. I believe you, Joel. I want to do it. How do I go from being copyless to copy abundant, right? Like how do I, what's that step for uh, someone, you know, listening today? How do they get serious about, you know, getting copy into their marketing staff and into their gameplay? So thankfully in the copywriting industry, we have uh, brilliant women who lead the, the way on, on the customer research side of things. And that's where you begin. So people like Jennifer Hayweiss, Joanna Weeb, Caitlin Bergeon, I think I pronounced her name, butchered horribly, yeah. but they're all examples. If you want to leave this this video or leave this podcast and go and sink your teeth into stuff, go look at what they're doing. But practically where you begin is not putting new words on the page. You need to have the why behind them. You need to have the understanding. So if you want to give yourself an edge as a software company, as an agency, as a B2B company on the whole, it's not rocket science, but it means systematizing the way you learn about your customers and making that less of an event. So right now for most companies, it's an event. Oh, we, we did a research push and then they don't do anything for five years and more of an ongoing evolving conversation. So let's talk about some practical ways to do that. The first thing, go take a look at, I believe they still have it. Look at what FreshBooks does when they onboard people. When you sign up for FreshBooks, part of their onboarding process is a very sneaky way for them to better understand who you are, what you want and how you're gonna measure success with them. So they ask you, you know, what, what type of business are you running? What do you primarily hope to use FreshBooks to do as part of the onboarding? It feels very natural. It doesn't feel like a salesy, sneaky tactic. But what that arms FreshBooks to do is first customize their nurture sequence. I can orient all of the content that I feed you based on what it is you're trying to accomplish. And number two, it gives them a reference point to come back to. So six months down the line, when a salesperson does pick up the phone and email, you know, call or email me or whatever, we can have a more meaningful conversation that feels personal to me because it's anchored in the things I told them I cared about at the time. So the first thing is to systematize as part of your onboarding, learning about what brought them in, what they hope to accomplish and making how they measure success, your, pro your problem. So I, I cannot emphasize this enough because this is something we see on the case study side is everybody as a parallel struggles to get buy-in for case studies. And we started to look at why is that? Like, what's the difference between companies like the cloud security company we work with who can easily do 24 plus studies in a year, like two to four a month, no problem. And these other companies who have a great platform, but it's like pulling teeth to get anyone to talk about it. What's the difference? The difference is that the companies who are getting tons of these have systematized the way they engage and talk to their customers. And they've made how that customer measures success their problem. So talking about what are the KPIs you're going to measure? What tools are you going to use to measure that? And then proactively checking in. Hey, how are we tracking? We want to make sure, you know, you're successful. How are you measuring? How are we going? So those are some simple steps you can take. But there's some other very simple things that you can do. Some of that is, is just making sure that you've got a documented source that is shared across departments where the insights are meaningful. So what do I mean by that? 
running new surveys. So surveys throughout the relationship. There's this, these onboarding questions I talked about. But then knowing for your business, okay, how long does it typically take for a customer to receive value? Or sometimes you have a clear software-based indication they have received value. Like, oh, they sent their first invoice or, oh, they got paid or, oh, they've created their first campaign or whatever, uh, or, or they've received their first payment or what have you. And at that point, at the moment that they finally receive value, survey them again. And that's where you ask them, hey, what brought you in? Uh, what was the experience like? What surprised? But now you can ask more questions about the experience. What surprised you about the platform? How does it stack up to expectations? What do you like? What do you not like? How does this compare to past solutions? Are you glad you made the choice and so on? Collecting all of that in a quick customer survey, again, it gives you, now you have two reference points. You have what they said when they first came in. You have what they said when they first achieved value. And now you have a barometer to keep going back to as the relationship matures. So you want to collect in the customer's own words, their pain points, their anxieties, what almost stopped them from buying from you, their desired outcomes. So what is it they're looking to get out of this? And then their priorities. And importantly, I'll close off on this, how those priorities shift and change over time. And those priorities shift and change over time along with the competitive landscape. And I'll use kind of a, a crass example of how things change. But like if there is an industry on the Internet that is, like has been there since it launched and continually innovating, it's the adult industry. And OnlyFans seemingly came out of nowhere and now is like everywhere. Well, if we can see innovations and changes in customer behavior and spending in sex and sex work, then you better believe that your industry is not static. It's not going to, the, the factors and things that your audience is weighing up and comparing to will change. And if you're not making this to bring it full circle, if you're treating it as an event that you do once every five years, you're missing how your customers' comparisons and priorities and anxieties and hesitations change. You might stay static, your product might stay static, but the landscape will change how they decide will change. You know, I love that. And I think the, the what happens, right, and I've seen this happen myself, I see it with our clients all the time, is they have these hypotheses that were formed sometimes centuries ago, it feels like, of like, well, this is what customers are, this is what they buy, this is why they choose us. But then you go look at their reviews on G2, Captera, or Software Advice, and no one mentions those things. Or you go on their own website, and they don't talk, like, there's just such a disconnect between what they think they even say and what they like. I don't, I'm not convinced the marketers have read their pages because I think a lot of times they think that they do this and they show up, right? They get hired and they try to help the company, but I don't know if they've actually read their own website. Like genuinely, I don't know how many marketers listening have read their own websites. I know sometimes I haven't, right? One of my guys writes a page. I'm like, oh, great work. But I didn't take the hour to sift through it and mark it up. And so one of the things I did find that helped me is I'm using Gong, and I'm sure you probably get some access to this as well, but Gong has been a game changer for me, coaching the AEs, getting that, like, what happened on the disco call? Like, when we're doing a discovery call and we're qualifying somebody, what are they asking for? Are they mentioning some of the, like, hey, did we saw you on Sour and Sass, or hey, we watched your two-minute Sass videos, or, like, are people, because I can't tell you, like, I've been trying to do content for years, and it's like an echo chamber, right? Like you create a content, no one says anything. You eventually give up. I'm listening to these calls now. People are watching these shows. They don't seem to have tons of views, but all of a sudden people are going. So like, how can people in your mind, and we talked about people, but not pieces in the sense of like, here's things people can do, but do they need a full-time copywriter or do you believe in like copy by committee? Like as a final question, like what do they practically do? Because that's like, you gave us things to do, but the problem is that I know this is people don't have any more time. And mm -hmm. so 
do we need to fund it? Do we need a full-time copywriter? Do we need to bring a consultant in to teach us? Like, what do you think is most effective? I think leadership has to own to a degree responsibility for being part of the research and analysis at a bare minimum. Uh, I don't think, and this is my own opinion, I don't think most founders and owners should write their own copy. I think they're way too close to their businesses and their own notions of it. But I think leadership needs to be part of the conversation. I abhor copy by committee. I think it's a terrible idea. Um, I I have routinely seen, like, the, the problem with copy by committee is, and, and this this ties into, in a weird way, you've, you've heard the adage, people, people scan, they don't read. Like 16% of people read every word. Here's the thing. We're selling to that 16%. We're not selling to the That's 84% who don't. I'm not writing for everyone to love me. I'm writing for, for these people to buy. When you write copy by committee, you get this very vanilla milk toast thing that everyone can agree with. So it's very boring. And mm-hmm. so I, I want to encourage companies. Leadership has to be bought in to copy being important, to messaging positioning being important. And they have to be willing, I believe, to put time into at least being part of those conversations and taking ownership of being updated and knowing, and even if they're not doing the research, hearing back from the people who are so that they have this moving analysis. Should you hire a copywriter full-time? Should you hire outside? I think that really comes down to the economics of scale for your business. I think at a certain point, having a copywriter who can bridge gaps. I mean, this is the other unspoken thing is a huge amount of the work that I do is building bridges between departments. Like you talk about Gong like yep. there are sales conversations happening that marketing never hears about. So marketing goes to market with this new campaign that had they spent half hour to an hour talking to sales about, they would have had infinitely more success because there's this disconnect. So leadership has to buy in. They, I believe, have to take the time to be informed. And then I do believe that that it's their job to make sure systems internally are in place to share information. In terms of hiring from someone from the outside, my heavy bias is that it makes a ton of sense. Why? That person comes in with fresh eyes. They come in objective. The right person is not going to be afraid to piss you off with the truth, which is, I think, what copywriters have to do more of is pissing companies off with the truth where it's like, you think this is important, but the data shows. And when we talk to customers and your own team supports that it's not anymore. Um, I'll yeah. close with this example to make this real for, for everybody because it's an example of enterprise software doing exactly this. Uh, a company here in Calgary, they have this very – there's only a handful of companies in the space, but it's very competitive for that reason. There's a lot of parity and fear inside of the companies like, look what they're doing, look what they're doing. We did competitive analysis. We talked to customers. We looked internally. We looked at chat logs. We looked at everything. One of the things that came out of that research, this is a practical example, is the landscape had shifted. So this is in the not-for-profit space. This is a software company that helps companies start these, these giving and social good initiatives in their businesses. All competitors were looking over the shoulders. They built this feature. They built that feature. But when we talked to their actual customers, the huge waving red flag that all of them were missing is that over the past five years, IT had veto power. Suddenly, IT could say, nope, not using that solution because they don't, they don't deal with that regulation or they don't have a plan for this new GDPR, or this new whatever. And so all of a sudden, it's like, while everyone's in the feature war, while everyone's like in the pitching and all this war, all we had to do was make it easiest to access information on security and what we're doing about it. 
and it was a net positive. It was a win. It was a, a huge blind spot. That doesn't happen without leadership being open to the fact that maybe we don't know our customers that well. Maybe we should trust the research. Maybe I should make this my problem. So, you know, the, the, the short answer is hire the person who has the ability to be the most objective and your job as leadership is buy in, support the research and build bridges. If you do those three things, prioritize making time for those three things, let someone else do the production, but get out of their way and listen, like give them the ability to test what they put together. Copy by committee is awful copy virtually every time. It's why I don't support things like shopping my copy around to 20 different strangers to weigh in on you know, what works, what doesn't, is it good, is it bad? Because unless they're in the act of buying, I don't care what they have to think. Yeah. Like that's that's the biggest vote. Did they act, did they not? Don't care what opinion says. I love it, I love it. I think my following thought there is don't be afraid to be bold. Like it's okay, if your copy doesn't have a hater, it's probably not direct enough. It's not bold enough. It, it could have something more to it, I don't know. I love what you're talking about today, Joel. Um, endless examples, I mean, Companies who refuse to put price on their site, everybody does. Companies who refuse to give people access to their product, yet everyone else has trials. Like there's so many things where even those types of things come out of this type of research. So how can people, if they're listening today, number one, get better case studies? Because trust me, everyone stinks at it. So how can people listening today get social proof because they need it? And how can people get better copy? So more social proof really comes down to um, if, if I had one tip and if I had to just say one thing systematize and make KPIs for your customer your problem. The excuse is always, well, we don't run the tool, so we don't measure it. No, it's 100% your problem, how successful people feel like they are with your platform. Make that a part of sales conversations. Make that a part of onboarding conversations. Make that a part of customer success conversations. Help your customer own their KPI and normalize checking in so that when you make the ask, it doesn't feel like it's coming from a total stranger. Um, simple, single, like... There's all the, the like how to run an interview, how to do you can hire someone for for that. You can you can learn that stuff, but getting like, someone to actually say yes, that's hard and you have direct control of your success right there. How do you get better copy? Uh, I would say to to sum up again, have structured conversations with your leads and with your customers and pass that information around. So you don't even have to notice none of what I'm talking about has to do with actually writing anything yourself. If you can secure the intel, if you can be intentional about getting those insights, if you can keep it current and meaningful, someone internally or someone you hire is going to have this treasure trove of insight to help you position and, and beat competitors and move the needle on conversion. But if that's not there, that's again... Like 90% of my job is helping companies go and get that, interpret it, understanding it. If you can just make sure you have that and then internally you understand you know, most of that, you'll be miles ahead because it's really difficult to make stupid decisions when you have overwhelming proof that it's a stupid decision. So the more that you give yourself to chew on and work with, I think the better off you're going to be, the more informed you stay, the harder it is to veer off course. I love it. And that was the least plug I've ever gotten. So the answers I was going for, if you need better social proof, case study buddy.com. <laughs> if you need better copy, casual copywriting.com. Hit yeah. up Joel. I work with him. Uh, totally vouch for him. Great guy. Um, and his approach is if you're in professional services, watching someone else do their job is always great to get some insights on how you can do yours better. So thanks for being on the show, Joel. Um, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, what's best? 
email? Yeah, either one, at Joel Klecky on Twitter or LinkedIn. And the line I always say is I don't always respond quickly, but I always respond. So, uh, you know, with two kids and, and two businesses and a fairly full project load at the moment, uh, you know, I, it might take me a few days, but I love talking to people. I love trying to give, you know, competent referrals. And I love trying to help people wrap their heads around the stuff because I really do believe that when we all communicate better, and that's that's really what copywriting is, when we all communicate better, the world's a little bit better. People make a little bit better decisions. So passionate about that. Always excited to connect. All right. Thanks, Joel.